Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. much. Come on, give God a good hand clap this morning, church. What a privilege to be back at Capitol Church, my favorite church in Idaho. Can I get an amen? If you wouldn't mind, guys, turn the monitors up a little bit. I like it to blow my hair back. You guys excited? Who's excited for today? There is a very high chance uh, if you made it to church uh, after Christmas yesterday, you're probably going to heaven. And uh, excited that you're here today. Uh, Honored to be back. I love this place so much. Every time I come here, I'm reminded about uh, just the journey that God brought me on. He found me in this church. It was actually, uh, I was thinking about it when I was singing, it was 19 and a half years ago that I sat in the back over there. And it was a summertime in July. And I remember my dad, he, he, he was looking at me a little bit because Pastor Ken was up here talking about, it's summer camp Sunday. Parents, you're their parents. Sign your kids up for camp. And my dad had that crazy look in his eyes. I'm like, man, my dad's listening to this guy right now. And I got suckered into hopping on one of the yellow buses, no air conditioning. And uh, riding out with a bunch of strangers. And little did I know that it would be that camp that would instrumentally change the trajectory of my whole life. God would uh, change my heart. I would get saved the first year. Actually, it was, it was over. It was 21 years ago, my first camp. 20 years ago, I went to my second camp. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Changed me even more. And then the third year, I came up after I graduated high school in the year of 2002. Shout out to the millennials. 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 Millennium Falcons, uh, and uh, graduated high school in 02, and uh, came up to go to camp again, and God told me, move to Idaho, live with your dad, and go to this internship at Capitol Church, and little did I know that I would do that, and end up getting stuck here, come on somebody, <laughs> kidding, uh, I beat all the California migrants up here, come on, I made it first, I, I migrated up first, and uh, I'm just so grateful, man, that God has been so kind. I love California, but I love Idaho too. Can I get a good amen? I am so grateful. Um, You don't have to worry about me moving back to Idaho. I'll be one of the few Californians that you don't have to worry about. Um, But I'm excited to be here today, and uh, it's an honor to be back at my church. I was walking around the other day. I found two of the dollies that I bought in 2005. I actually was over the facilities. I vacuumed every chair in this room many times. I was the janitor for five years. I learned how to hear God's voice in this room, and it's very special to be back here. Uh, My wife and I have had the privilege the last three years of pastoring Oceans Church in beautiful Orange County, California. Yeah, I appreciate the California hand clap. I know your great love and appreciation for the state, Uh, but I do, uh, I want to say God is moving in California. Don't believe everything you listen to on the news. I'd recommend not believing most of it, to be honest with you. The false prophets of our day are on major news networks. 
but I do believe the report of the Lord. Who believes that? And I believe that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And I want to remind you, the Bible says that God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah if there was just ten righteous. I believe that Sodom and Gomorrah was a testament of destruction, not because of the sake of the sinful, but the lack of the righteous. I believe if God will raise up a few righteous men and women, God can turn cities around. Anybody believe that still today? I'm sorry, I feel like preaching in just a minute. I know it's Christmas Sunday, but I'm going to try my best to contain myself. It's such an honor to be back. I want to just thank Pastor Ken and Connie for faithfully pastoring one church for over 38 years. That's amazing. Come on, give Pastor Ken and Connie a big hand clap. Love you, Mom and Dad. Love this church so much. And I love Pastor Ken and Connie so much. I'm married into their family. Was the youth pastor here for 17 years. You marry your boss's daughter. Stay with me, job security. It's tough to get fired when you marry your boss's daughter. We tried our best to be, to be good pastors here. Had the privilege of being a part of what God did in Idaho and now, uh, three and a half years later, started with uh, eight people, uh, moved from, from Idaho to start Oceans Church, and those eight would turn into 75 before we launched, and then we'd launch with 289 in September of 2018, and December 10th of 2018, we reached our lowest, 110 people, and uh, they, they said that's normal. I didn't like the normal, but... We, we dipped. We were in a tent outside. Our tent didn't show up that Sunday, so we actually had to find a tent about an hour before church started. If you want to know what church planning is like, have you seen the video footage of people out running avalanches? Pretty similar experience. But we've, uh, we've been, God's been faithful to us, and uh, over the last three years, we've seen, just on Sundays alone, over 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus. And uh, God is reviving Orange County, two campuses, couple, five services last Sunday, over a couple thousand people in attendance, and it's been amazing what God has done in, sh in a short three years. But I just want to honor, uh, I want to honor our secret weapon, uh, who isn't just the Holy Spirit, can I get an amen, and God himself, but I'm so grateful the secret weapon of Ocean's Church is a homegrown Idaho girl named Rochelle Francie, and Rochelle is, uh, you'd be so proud of this, this girl that was raised in this church, of how she's impacting California. You'd be shocked at how she treats nobodies and somebodies and everybody in between. She loves them all the same. And you'd be so proud of what Rochelle has done and so, so proud of you, babe. My two little girls. And uh, I think, I, think I, I love the Groves. I love the Argons, Martinez. I love all of you guys. So good. I could just come on. This is like a family reunion today. Is this guy going to teach the Bible at some point today or are we just going to ramble all morning? We'll get there. I think I thanked everybody. I also want to thank uh, my legs for supporting me. My arms for always being by my side. And my fingers, I can always count on you. You ready? All right. Get your Bible out. Luke, uh, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 is where I'm going to go this morning. This is a Christmas story. It's uh, in the groupings. You're like, man, every year I come to church on Christmas, it's either Matthew 2 or Luke 2. Come a different day of the year. You'll get a different verse. Every Easter, they're talking about the resurrection. It happens. Matthew chapter 2. You guys ready to have a good time today? I want to encourage you. It's okay to say amen every once in a while. I know you guys have teachers in this church, but teachers tell it. Preachers yell it. So I'm going to preach a little bit here in a second. And I'm excited. It's the first time I've preached indoors in a long time. We've been in a tent for 18 months. 
And uh, our tent is right now outside. They're meeting right now outside in tents in Orange County. And it's still warmer than this room. All right. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Let's read 12 verses. Who's up for reading 12 verses today? Everything I talk about is connected to these 12 verses. Let's read a familiar passage, but let's look at it with a fresh set of eyes. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, where was he born? Of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he? Say that with me. Where is he? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star from the east and come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Not just the king, but all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered the chief priests, who did he gather? And the scribes, the religious elite of the day, the people gathered together and inquired of them. He said, when was the Christ? Where is the Christ to be born? And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea. What did the, wise, what did the religious say? In where? In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Beth Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are you not least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he was secretly called the wise men, determined what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. Say it with me, young child. Not trying to burst anybody's nativity bubbles. But I do want to inform you, Costco's been selling a faulty nativity scene for a while. The wise men actually weren't there at the birth of Jesus. It's all right, you can keep them in the wise, you can keep them there in the nativity scene. But scholars tell us, and even the Bible itself tells us over and over again, that he wasn't a baby. He was likely one or two years old. When they found him, he said, bring back word that I might come also and worship him. When they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star they had seen in the east went before them. I don't study the universe of the stars, but I know this, that stars don't normally went. Can I get a witness there? But the star happened to go before them till it came and stood over the place where the, not baby, but young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, not the, not the, not the manger, not, not, not the cave, not where he was born, but they came into the house, they saw the Matthew's trying to prove a point here. It's not a baby. It's a young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down. They fell down, and they worshiped him. As Pastor Ken said, they opened up their treasuries. They presented gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How many had those top three on your Christmas list this year? Orange County, one of them was on the list. And it says, it says they open up their gifts, and then being after this, they being divinely warned in a dream, they should not return to Herod. They departed for their own country. They departed for their own country another way. Say it with me, another way. I want to talk to you on this holiday Sunday on the idea of Christianity is about encountering Jesus and not leaving the same way. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down another way. Lord, we just want to say that we love you. Thank you that we can celebrate indoors. Praise God. On Christmas Sunday, we just pray that you would bless us today with your presence. I know it's easy. We've been busy. We've been going, 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 spending, 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 hustling, hustling, hustling. And we just ask you today, Lord, that your peace would fill this room. I know it's easy to check a box and say, I went to church Christmas Sunday. I did my once a year duty. But I pray today that you do something so transcendent in this time that, Lord, generations from now, we would look back and, and be able to trace the lineage of godly men and godly women 
to having their hearts softened in this atmosphere, in this service. Lord, have your way today at Capitol Church. Speak, move, have your way, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, amen. amen. Thank you so much for playing. Come on, give a hand clap to our friend playing the piano. I always tell a couple stories, and then I bring it back to a couple points, and then we pray at the end, and God does what he does best. He shows up, but... um. Is there anybody in here who's ever, uh, who's ever had a good haircut? Who's had a good haircut? Anybody have a good haircut before? I've had good haircuts in my life. I've had, who's, ever, who's had a bad haircut? Anybody have a bad haircut? A bad hair experience? I grew up in uh, the high desert of California. And uh, if you're from California, just a word of advice. Don't tell anybody that. But uh, Idaho is really full of two types of people. Those that are from California and those that lie about being from California. But I was raised in the high desert of California, and we didn't have a lot of money. My parents separated when I was young, and uh, my mom, you know, she was doing the best that she could. She was raising three boys, and I remember uh, we didn't, my mom, she was trying to save some money, so she bought herself some clippers. And I don't know if there's anybody else in here that had a mom that's like, I can do this. I can save that Supercuts budget. And so my mom, she bought clippers, and I was, uh, I was born in the 80s. I looked like I was born in the 90s, but I was born in the 80s. And um, I actually just turned 38. Look, 37, come on, 38. But I, uh, my, I had a mom, and she's like, you know, this, this really trendy haircut's coming out. It's called a bowl haircut. And it actually involved a cereal bowl. Who remembers this haircut? Pretty, 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 pretty standard. Just really get the cereal bowl, put it on your child's head, and get the clippers, and just trace the bowl around your kid's head. And that is the uh, step or the bowl haircut. It was quite trendy at one point. And uh, that was my mom. That was probably the highlight of her haircutting career was the cereal bowl haircut. And uh, after, uh, after I kind of grew out of that stage, my mom no longer was really, you shouldn't feel like she was qualified to continue to cut. So she, uh, she was like, look, we're going to show a real haircut. So she, she took me to the beauty school. Now, we didn't have a lot of money going up. Like our welcome mat just said, well, um, so my mom's like, we're going to save some money. I'm going to take you to a beauty school. And so we went to this beauty school, which if you don't know what a beauty school is, that's where people go to learn how to do stuff. Yeah. Like they don't know how to do it yet. Are you following me? And so I had many times I went in there, and I'll tell you what, a good haircut can make your day. A bad haircut can ruin your month. Now, I thought it wouldn't get much worse than the beauty school until Walmart started cutting hair. When Walmart started cutting hair, I'm like, oh my gosh, mom. Mom's like, yes, a $20 haircut. I'm like, mom, no, I don't want to. It was actually a $5 haircut, but the hat to cover your hair was $15. And um, I've walked into places one way. You ever walked out a different way? Some things in life, you just cannot walk out the same way that you came in. Like, like your honeymoon. You ever seen someone after their honeymoon? This is maybe a California topic. I don't know. So conservative up here. How's the Lord? Um, but you've seen people before. They, they go one way. They come back another way. I, I've, I've traveled on airplanes before. You ever been rerouted? I flew to Columbia a couple years ago. And I went one way. I had to come back a completely different way. And I don't know what it was. But God just brought my attention to this one idea with Christianity in the very origins, of probably the second or, or maybe the second Christmas uh, in history that you have these wise men that travel from the east and they have an encounter with baby Jesus 
which I want you to think about for a minute, because sometimes we read these familiar passages and we overlook how significant what was actually happening was. Can you imagine the most wealthy, educated aristocrats, some of the most widely respected human beings on the earth, wealthy, affluent, powerful, uh, 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 well-known, and they walk into a little house and they fall down before a two-year-old. Pretty wild story. And it's crazy that they have this one encounter with him. And after they have this encounter, they have a dream. And in the dream, they're warned, I want you to go back to where you came from, but I don't want you to go back the same way. And God began to speak to me that the, the, the really the Christmas story is about God encountering humanity and not sending them back to their old lives the same way. I believe that Christianity at its core is encountering something so real, so powerful, so transformational that you can't go back to your old life, your old family, your old job, your old kids the same way. But what religion does is religion makes you encounter God, but you go back exactly as you came. And I believe that God wants to come by his spirit and do something new. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Stay with me, new. Many people don't enjoy the joy of Christmas because they don't really get what Christmas is about. Really, Christmas is about God paying for the sins of humanity. You trace, you trace Christmas, the, the origins of Christmas did not start in Matthew 1 or 2, didn't start in Luke 1 or 2. It started in Genesis 2 and 3. Christmas began because God made a promise and God cannot lie. Two things God can't do. God can't get better. And God can't lie. And he made a promise to Adam and Eve. And he said, if you eat of this tree, someone's going to die. And Adam and Eve ate of the tree. And they should have died. They could have died. They end up dying later on. But God made up his mind then that he would send his son later. Because he said something that he could not lie about. If you eat of the tree, someone has to die. And that's why Isaiah would prophesy in Isaiah 53 that God would say, I'm going to put the iniquities of all humanity on my son. The reason why Jesus said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because he was paying for the mistake of Adam and Eve in the garden. Someone had to die and it was Jesus. So God's salvation plan was Christmas morning that what Adam and Eve screwed up, Jesus is going to fix. This is what Christmas was all about. And it was such a big deal that people prophesied about it. Micah, 500 years before Jesus was born, forecast not only that the Christ was going to be born, but he actually said where he was going to be born at. Can you imagine reading a literature book that you found today that was buried 500 years ago that forecasted that this president or this, this administration or whatever, whatever big public knowledgeable thing that you want to talk about that offends people was buried in the ground, and after 500 years, they said, yeah, and this president, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, they're going to be born in Melba, and they're going to end up ruling in the White House. If you read that five, in a book, 500 years old, that was buried out in the desert, and it said, you read it today, that in 2022, in 2018, these will be the presidents. What would you think about a book that was as accurate about someone being born in a small town like Melba? That was Bethlehem. Bethlehem was not a metropolitan city. It was not Alexandria. It wasn't Jerusalem. This was a small little Melba. And it says in Micah 500 years before the Savior was going to be born. And he's going to be born out of Bethlehem. 
And so these wise men, these wise men, they were descendants. If you want to know four things about, I believe, how we leave another way as it pertains to Christmas and Christianity. Are you with me today? Four things I want you to leave with today. Why do we leave another way? Well, number one, we we only leave another way with God if if we come to God with expectations. I believe the number one reason why North American Christians lead the same way week in and week out is because they never approach God with expectations. They show up to church not expecting anything. So whether God moves or he doesn't move, you leave without no, no difference. God cannot show up today and you leave the same way you came in. I wonder if anyone came today saying, God, would you please speak to me? Would you still, would you please heal me? God, would you do something in my marriage, something in my child, something in my body? God, would you do something to my neighbor that I invited this Sunday? Many people never encounter Jesus and leave differently because they never show up to him with expectations. I would go on the record to say the wise men live with some expectations. You don't saddle up, not camels, sorry, nativity scene, Arabian horses. You don't travel 850 miles for nine to 15 months. You don't follow a star that went. Unless there was some expectation inside of you that this star was going to lead you to something that was better than anything you've ever tasted before. I would let you know that these wise men, they were, they were educated. They practiced dark arts. These were not righteous men. These were men. These were descendants of Balaam. You can trace the Magi back to Balaam. And these guys studied astrology. They, 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 were, they were into the dark arts. They exhausted what the world had to offer. And they said, there's got to be something more. And they asked a question that I believe, whether you're an atheist today or you're a sold-out believer, we got to rediscover once again. Where is he? If God is real, where is he? If there is one true God, if we don't have that coexist sticker on the back of your Subaru, if there is one true God, where is he? If there is one that stands head and shoulders above the rest, where is he? These guys do of many deities, but they go, is there one that's better than the rest? Where is he? And I believe the only reason they encountered Jesus and the only reason they left another way was because of their expectations. Can I get an Amen. You don't travel for nine months on a horse unless you have a little bit of expectations. Can I get a good amen? How do you know? Because, well, they got off their horses, and the second thing they did, they had, they had such expectations that they, they didn't miss Christmas because they went after Jesus. I believe that those, there was people that didn't have expectations, and they missed Christmas. There's people today that don't have expectations, and you can miss Christmas this year. You wouldn't be the first one to miss Christmas, though. Because in the first Christmas, there was many people that missed Jesus. How about the innkeeper? The innkeeper missed Christ on Christmas. Come on, Christmas? Christian is, come on, Christ and Ian put together. And if you weren't living like Christ, you're living like Ian. Can I get an amen? The innkeeper was so, so busy, so blessed, so full without God that he missed Christmas. And I believe there's some innkeepers still on the earth today. That you might have a great marriage, you might have beautiful babies in a, in a prospering business, but your one mistake is you have no vacancies for God in your life. I believe that the, the first Christmas was about an innkeeper that was so being so busy being blessed. Man, every room is full in my hotel. Man, I got overflow business, record numbers. Man, life is good. Who needs God when your business is this blessed? But I believe the indictment on the innkeeper was he was too blessed to make room for Jesus. He missed Christmas. 
Not only did the innkeeper miss Christmas, who else missed Christmas? Good, good, good question. Let me, let me look at my notes. <laughs> king Herod missed Christmas. He did. He heard that there was a new king being born, and him and Jerusalem with him were freaked out. Why? Because he, he goes, well, I thought I was the only king. This is why most people that are atheists don't want to believe in God if he is real. It's because they like sitting on the throne. Most people miss Christmas because if you acknowledge that there is a one true king, that there is a Lord. God gave me this dream about two months ago. I've been preaching in our church. You can listen to some of our podcasts if you want to. But God is rediscovering in my spirit what the word Lord means. The word Lord is on the Bible over 1,600 times. It means master, owner, controller. And I believe the weakness with the American church, if I'm, if, I, if I'm being critical, is that we have a Christianity that we believe in God, but we don't make him Lord. That's what it is. God gave me a dream. He said, Mark, tell my people not just to believe, the demons believe. Tell my people to make me Lord once again. Romans 10, remember the Romans 10, 9 and 10 road? What does it say? Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord means master, controller, owner. And most of us live with a broken Christianity because we believe in him, but we never say you're master, you're controller, you're Lord, you're owner. And I was going to get quiet in the Presbyterian church. This guy's getting fired up in his wife's jeans. Where's his socks? They're in there, okay? My eyes are up here. Yeah, thanks for asking. Many people, many people miss Christmas because like King Herod, they like to be Lord. I don't want to sit chair two. I want to sit chair one. It's my life. It's my talents. It's my job, my family, my money, mine, 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 mine. Come on, Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. Why is it that the human condition is we are born in the world takers, but it's not until Jesus gets a hold of our heart that we become givers? It's because his lordship transforms us. That's why I love the story about the jailer that got saved when Paul and Silas worshiped in prison. And he said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul breaks it down to one thought. He says, all you got to do is believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is when he said this, sometimes we overlook it in the church, but Paul was saying something really big here. He's saying, yeah, you got to make sure that you believe that he's the owner of everything. Every square foot of your life belongs to Jesus. No, it's my life, my body, my choice. No, you were bought at a price. Yeah, you're no longer your own. The Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he gets crazy in America when you preach like this. It's like, well, this sounds a little bit different than the journalist. But I'm not, I'm not letting journalists shape my worldview. I'm not the word of God shape the way that I see life functioning. Can I get an amen? Maybe if I can't get an amen, I'll take a Baptist head nod, a Presbyterian eyebrow raise. I'll take a Latter-day Saint. Come on, I'm in Idaho. Deep breath. Come on, give me something. Many people miss Christmas because like King Herod, they don't want to, they don't want to give up their throne. The innkeeper missed it because he was too blessed to make space for God. Herod missed it because he didn't want anybody else sitting in his seat. And how about this? Who else missed Christmas? How about the religious? This struck me to my core that the men from the east that were godless had to come to the religious elite of the day and say, where is he? Do you know that you can be so religious and you can know the Bible and you can know that he's going to be born in Bethlehem but never take the trip yourself? 
did the, how did the religious know where he was going to be born? They knew it was Bethlehem. They knew the Bible, but they didn't go. I believe that religion is, is happy and satisfied with knowing and not living. And I don't want to be a Christian that just knows the scriptures. Well, I know Hebrew, but I don't know him. I can speak Greek, but I don't know God. We, listen, since the origins, I'm, I'm, is this too fire? I'm just, it's Christmas, man. Settle down. Just, just got a tablet yesterday, man. I just want to go play leapfrog. Just leave me alone. I'm not trying to be intense, but I'm just, I, want to be, I want you to be honest with you. I, just, I feel like many people miss Christmas still today. Because like the religious, we're settling for knowledge and not life experience. I want you to know that the written word is always supposed to lead us to the living word. Yeah, but many people settle. I have a great Bible study. I go to four Bible studies a week, and I go to church six days a week, and I, I know how to pray. I know how to fast. When was the last time you shared your faith? When was the last time someone was in church on Sunday because you invited them? When was the last time God told you to do something that you didn't want to do, and you did it anyways? If you haven't had a disagreement with God lately, I want to remind you, you're sitting in his chair. Every once in a while, I get in arguments with God. Last night was one of them. God's like, hey, let's break a barrier with your giving this year. I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful for what I already gave. And he's like, no, 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 let's dip into your savings. Let's do something you've never done before. Let's just do something ridiculous. And I was like, oh, let's talk about something else. But I've learned this, that if you don't disagree with God sometimes, it's because he's not the Lord. What makes him the Lord is that he says something, share your faith. My little sister, I'm so proud of her. Last night, she went snowboarding and driving back. She saw this homeless guy in downtown Boise. And she said, I saw him writing a note. And I felt like the Lord said to just love on him, say something like it's nice to him and just, you know, be kind. And she goes, but I didn't want to. So I drove and the Lord said, what if he's writing his suicide note? She said, so she turned around. And she's from Idaho. So she had a gun in her car. Come on. She's all right. Can't say that in California. But she went over and she rolled her window down. She started a conversation with this homeless man and started sharing the love of God to this homeless guy. And he was all right. But I'm just so proud of my sister. And it reminded me, this is what lordship looks like. When he tells you stuff, sometimes you're like, I don't want to do that. And you're like, well, you're going to do it anyways. <laughs> I don't know if he's going to get invited back. Um, I think the religious missed Christmas because they knew, but they didn't go. I don't know. It's just This blew me away that these, these wise men go, where is he born? And the wise men knew exactly where he was going to be born, but they didn't make the trip. They studied the Bible, but they didn't study to have a deeper relationship with Jesus. They studied the Bible so they could be elites in a theological sense. And there are still people today that think they're better than other people because their knowledge of the Bible, and they know way more than they live out. I say this all the time, but maturity in the Christian walk is not gauged by how many verses you have memorized. It's not by how many years of seminary you have under your belt. Christian maturity is gauged upon how much of what Jesus has shown you, you live out. God told me about forgiveness, so I practiced it. God told me about tithing, so I practiced it. God told me about sharing my faith, so I practiced it. God told me to make disciples in my neighborhood, so I practiced it. It's what we practice that determines the living, it goes from the written word to the living word. But we see people that were religious elites miss Christmas. Herod miss Christmas. Innkeeper miss Christmas because they didn't have expectations. Second thing I want you to write down, you're still with me today. 
That we can, we can, if we're going to encounter and leave a different way, we learned from the wise men, they didn't just not miss Christmas. When they got to Christmas, when they got to Jesus, they were actually willing to fall down and to express. Express worship. Now, it's going to maybe get a little awkward to skin for a second, but we live in a society that has no problem expressing celebration everywhere else. But when it comes to the church, your church, settle down, weirdo. Stop raising your hand. You're making the rest of us look bad. Stop clapping. Stop being happy. Stop being excited. Stop, like, really? Like, you're, the wise men, again, aristocrats, socialites. These guys were, they had it made. They had everything that Babylon had to offer. And they realized that Babylon didn't offer anything that could satisfy their soul. So they came to this little two-year-old baby and they fell down and they expressed worship. Clapping in church kind of annoys me sometimes. I don't like those Pentecostal churches that clap. Well, I want to let you know, clapping is not a Pentecostal idea. It's a Bible idea. Clap you hands, all you people. Is there any people in here? Oh, oh, I heard a tambourine. Praise God. Sister Mary's got the shofar probably. So keep that thing holstered, okay? Listen, we know this, that you have... Hands to clap. The Bible says to shout to God with a voice of triumph. I don't like that church. Sometimes they like get excited. They like sing loud or they shout. I'm like, I'm not going back to that church. They're clapping and shouting. Well, I'm not going back to the Laker games then. Okay. There's a bunch of weirdos in there chanting for strangers. They don't know grown men wearing colorful little uniforms together, color coordinated, running down the wood floor, competing over a little leather ball. But somehow, some way, I lose my dignity. I lose my mind. I don't care who's next to me. I'm clapping. I'm shouting. I'm hugging strangers. You have no problem being expressive at your sporting event. Why would you be offended by a church that's expressive? Uh, let, me, let me give you a little secret. It probably comes from hell. Because if I was the devil and I was trying to steal what God loved the most, I would convince humanity that worshiping expressively is weird. That's what we're here for. I actually believe that worship is the mission of the church. I repeat, worship is the mission of the church. This might might take you off guard, but this this scholar blew me away with this quote. He said, the ultimate goal of the church is not mission, but it's worship. He said, mission only exists where worship does not. Mission only exists where worship does not. When the people of God worship, cities are changed. And ultimately, when you reach a city, it begins to worship. There's no longer need for mission. FYI, heaven. There's no missions in heaven. There's no missions trips in heaven. Hey, what are you doing in heaven this week? Oh, I'm going on a missions trip. You ain't doing no missions trip in heaven. You're on a worship assignment. And I want you to know that the ultimate goal of the Christian life isn't just mission. That's part of it. It's worship. Because out of expressive worship comes missional living. You still with me today? Who can you five more minutes? Come on, five more minutes? Five, ten, five, back to fifteen. Next on Expressive worship. They fell down. I believe our response to God's presence is worship. What is worship? It's a response to God's presence. I came to this church, I felt good vibes. Felt good energy. I always love hearing non-believers explain church. Just a good aura in the room. 
has ever, anyone ever told you, uh, Mark, you just have a really great energy? I'm like, well, it's the Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit. Maybe I'll say Holy Spirit. Well, come on, keep it. Just come on. But I'm convinced that many people, they, they don't realize that there's something in expressing worship touches the heart of God. That's why, this, this is crazy. You know what? This is God took you back all the way to Exodus. Why did God tell Moses to tell Pharaoh to let the people go? Let my people go that they might go what? Do you know that freedom from bondage was never about bragging about how free you were? Freedom from bondage was all about liberty to worship God. God wants you to get free from your, your eating disorders, from your drug usage, from your lying, your cheating, your stealing. God wants to deliver you from bondage, not so you can brag to your coworkers, I don't do that anymore. He wants you to get free so you can tell your coworkers, I know how to worship God now. God wanted people free so they could worship. Expressive worship. I believe that God wants a church that is on fire. We had too many dead churches with dead preachers preaching dead messages to dead people. I believe a lost world needs a fired up church. Can I get a good amen and a good hand clap in this room? Where are the fired up Christians at? Where are the believers that love God more than the NFL? More than the NBA? More than Netflix? When was the last time you binge watched the presence of God? When was the last time you're like, no, 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 I want more of the Bible. I don't want to leave church today. I want, to, I want more of his presence. We have a society that's been literally brainwashed by Babylonian culture. And by the way, that is always the indictment against the people of God. When culture disciples you, you will forsake God. And when you disregard God's voice, this is where the cycle of bondage begins. And I believe it's time for the church to stop emulating Babylon. But Stan saying, we are the light of the world. We're a city on a hill. We're salty Christians. Bible says that Christians that lose their salt are good for nothing. Can't tell you how many churches are just good for nothing. What are you doing? Well, divorce rates the same. Alcohol addiction rates the same. Lying rates the same. Cheating rates the same. Morality rates the same. Gambling addiction is the same. Where are the real Christians at? Where are the ones that spend so much time with God that we stop mimicking Babylon and we start mimicking God? I'm sorry, I'm fired up, but I just, this is what I'm preaching in California, and people are showing up. Like, wow, wow, Herb never heard a message like this before. This guy's going to offend people, or there's going to be revival. That's what preaching should do. It should either push you in a position that I'm going to go all in after God, or I'm never going to come back here again. I don't want a church full of indifferent people. C.S. Lewis said, if Christianity is fake, it's of no importance. If it's real, if it's, it's of all importance. He said the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And the problem with most Americans today is we have a moderately important faith. We sing with moderate enthusiasm. We read moderately throughout the year. We pray moderately throughout the year. I'm not trying to throw rocks. I'm just saying, if he's real, let's go all in. I'm not going to be like the innkeeper. I'm not going to be like King Herod. Come on, the piano player can start playing at some point. I'm going to preach all day. <laughs> is we have to be willing to express. Can I get an amen? amen? And most of the time, we don't leave the same way. We leave the same way because we either don't expect, we don't express, or number three, we don't, we don't let God make us extravagant. Yes. I want you to know that God is an extravagant God. Yes. Extravagant. The fact that our universe is expanding at the speed of light. What do scientists say? It's almost like when God said, let there be light, he didn't stop it. 
extravagant. Why would you make so much universe for 8 billion people on the earth? Why would you do something that's so extravagant? Because we serve an extravagant God. Why so many different variations of flowers? Extravagant God. Why so many different types of birds? Extravagant God. And I want you to know that when you get around an extravagant God, like your spouse, like your best friend, you will become like who you hang out with. That's why Job hung out with God. He got extravagant at the end of his life. That's why you look at, like, who did God use in the Bible? Extravagant people. I'll prove it to you. David couldn't build the temple, but he saved up in our, in our currency $21 billion to build the original temple. $21 billion. Say it with me, extravagant. When his son Solomon got inaugurated, most kings kill one animal, he killed 1,000. Say it with me, extravagant. Pretty wild. That was the only person in the Bible that God came to, come on, like, like the genie in Aladdin, and said, what do you want? And Solomon said, I want wisdom to lead the people well. God offered in a dream anything he wanted because, because Solomon was an extravagant giver. How about the woman that broke open a, a Gucci perfume worth a year's wages? Come on. $900,000 in Orange County. We'll get that joke later. A year's wages. She breaks it open and she pours it out on Jesus. Extravagant. How about the woman? Well, just, is, this, is this a lot of money, Mark? Is that extravagance? No, no. How about the woman that had hardly anything? She had a mite. She gave all that she had. Jesus taps Peter, that's extravagant. God has always been drawn to extravagance. Because that's who he is. Well, why would God want me to be extravagant? Because he's the only one that can ask you for everything. Because he's the only one that gave you everything. I am persuaded that he's the, that, that's why we surrender to him as Lord. No one else died for me. No one else died as me. No one else guides me, directs me, protects me, blesses me. And if he is the Lord of my life, he's either Lord of all or he's Lord, not Lord at all. There's no middle ground here. And so I had this conviction. The Lord spoke to me. He said, Mark, uh, Christianity is about spending time with an extravagant king and taking on his, his personality. The wise men, they open up their treasuries. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. Gold, gift to kings. Frankincense. Divinity gift for priests, myrrh, burial, uh, burial spice uh, for, for those that would actually be buried one day, hence the word burial. I was thinking about this day, open up their treasuries. Is this the part of the message preach where you talk about giving money? That's all the church wants is money. Well, I want you to know, Jethro, that um, the streets of heaven are gold. And we don't give so that God can pay his bills. We actually give because God wants something that it's in your heart that doesn't activate anywhere else. And I would go on the record to say that God doesn't just want money. You know what he wants? He wants what matters to you. So if it's money that matters to you, that's what he wants. But I have people in my church that have no problem writing six-figure checks, but they do have problems giving a little bit of their time. What I've learned treasuries are is treasuries are the things in your life that matter the most to you. You know what God wants? He wants what matters the most to you. What's well, mine? Well, well, come on, King Herod. Don't miss Christmas. If he's real, let's go all in. Let's stop this passive, passive faith. Express, we, we're extravagant. Almost finished here. Can, just one more point. Is that all right? Can I finish this last point? There's no other service today. I go all day. I just say, I'm Benny Perez. We're having a revival meeting tonight. With 16 services this week. Praise God. 
Number four, last thing I'll write down. If you're taking notes, probably end up in heaven if you take notes today. Just kidding. Last point is encounters. I believe most people leave the same way they come to church because they show up, but they never really have a heart to encounter God. Give me the message. I'm, I don't even want to hear the music. I want to come for the good part. I want to come for the message. Well, you might call the message the good part because the, the message is the only part of the service that belongs to you. It is the music that belongs to God. And that's why I'd encourage you, don't, don't rip God off. Come on, trying to get stuff for yourself. Show up early to give God what belongs to him. Well, I didn't like the songs today. Well, we weren't singing to you. They didn't sing my song. Well, we weren't singing to you. This guy's offending a lot of people today. I like ruffling feathers sometimes. But I want to let you know that there's something about encountering God that just goes, God, I want to meet with you. I'm, I'm, I'm just persuaded that Christmas was about these two, three, four, five. We don't know how many wise men exactly there was. There's at least, they say at least three, but there could have been a lot more. There was three gifts they brought. But we know this, that these wise men, they went back to their old lives, their old jobs, their old careers. Here's what's crazy. Before they opened their treasuries, they had to hear about God from somebody else. Before they fell down and worshiped, before they opened up their treasuries, before they expected, before they expressed worship, and before they were extravagant, they had to ask religious people, what is God like? But after they expected, after they uh, expressed, and after they were extravagant, the Bible says God spoke to them in a, and he warned them, don't go back the way you came. And that's what I believe is so powerful about expressing expectation and extravagant living is it touches something in the heart of God that goes, oh wait, you, you want me more than anything else? You want to worship me more than sports? And I want to say this again because I was a youth pastor for 17 years. I never get away from this. You want good athletes in your family? Send them to sports camp. You want, you want good students? Send them to educational camps. But if you want kids that know Jesus, send them to church camps. Orange County is guilty of sending their kids anywhere and everywhere except the house of God. But what good is a D1 athlete? What good is an Ivy League educated student? What good is a wealthy son or daughter if they don't know the King of Kings? So I say, express it, expect it, be extravagant with it, and say, God, ask for me in my house, we're going to encounter God. And when I come into his presence, I give him permission as the master surgeon to take anything out of my heart that needs to go. Fill me. G.K. Chesterton said, I don't mind being in hot water. It cleans me. And I want to be someone that lets the water of God clean my soul. Felt this so strong this, this year that Christianity is about being directed by God to go back to where you came from another way. I got good news today. There's a lot of evil in the world, but I, I'm, I'm persuaded that God is not scared of what's going on that's evil in the world. Do you believe that today? Yeah. One of the most extraordinary aspects of the good news is that God can use bad men to accomplish his good purposes. It's a paradox, really. The great paradox of judgment is that evil becomes fuel in the furnace of salvation. I think we underestimate God and overestimate evil. We don't see what God is doing, so we conclude that he's doing nothing. We see everything that the evil is doing, and we assume that it's happening everywhere. 
We must trust God's word. What we don't see, not limited and controlled by the evil that we do see. I believe the wise men teach us that if we will come expecting, if we will come expressing, if we will come extravagant, and we will come saying, God, if you are real, meet with me. We will never leave the same way that we came. Healthy churches is where our darkness goes to die. I heard one atheist, he's a smart atheist, smarter than me, but he had this statement. He said, he said, Christianity is a fantasy made up for people that are scared of the dark. My rebuttal would be, I believe atheism is a fantasy made up by people that are scared of the light. I'm not going to live in the shadows of darkness. I'm not going to let Babylon disciple my kids. Come on, we're going to stand for truth. I don't care if it's politically correct. We're going to do, come on, ask for me in my house. We're going to serve the Lord. Come on, if you believe it today, give him a good hand clap in this church. We live in a world void of wisdom because we're living in a world that's irreverent when it comes to fearing God. God told me even last night as I was studying, I'm going to preach this to my church next weekend, that we got to get back to honoring God, fearing God, respecting God. We've lost our reverence in God's house. And I believe that wherever we lose reverence, we lose our wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Isn't that crazy? So many things right now happening in America that are totally anti-logic. Anti-logic. We find one microcell on Mars, we proclaim life. We see a baby with 10 fingers and 10 toes in the womb with lungs and a heartbeat, and we say it's not really life. How do we believe in such an anti-God, anti-Christian chance? My body, my choice, which incidentally doesn't apply to medical tyranny for forced vaccinations. No, this liberty is only reserved for destroying life. Not your body. I'm, it's not my body. It's God's body. I'm a temple of God. I'm going to get my news from the good news. I'm going to stand for what God stands for. And I don't care if it's not trendy, not popular. I'm not trusting the science. Science doesn't know what's a man and what's a woman anymore. I'm going to stand on this book. I'm going to say if God's into it, I'm into it. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. I don't care. We're going to stand for truth stand for truth. Where are the righteous? Where are those that seek him? Where are those that are extravagant, expectant? Are you hearing me today in Idaho? I got news for you today. Where humanity's morality is bankrupt. Purpose doesn't exist in the world. Two plus two today can be whatever you want it to be. Truth is relative. The Bible is hate speech. Right and wrong is subjective. Worship belongs to what our hands have crafted. Where Christianity is fantasy, made up for people that are afraid of the dark. Where are the Christians that say, no, I'm going to celebrate the light. More than Babylon will ever celebrate the darkness. I'm going to stand for truth. I'm going to go where he goes. I'm going to say what he says. How about if life is real and heaven is real, how about I leverage this life to make a difference for eternity? I met with a business guy last week. He's a multimillionaire, and he's a Marine. And he said, Mark, tell me this one thing. Is heaven real? I said, yes. He said, is hell real? I said, yes. He says, so you're telling me the purpose of life is to get people to heaven. I said, yes. He said, that's all I needed to know. I'm going to fund this kingdom. I'm going to be a part of pushing this church to the nations of the world. Where are, the, where are these people that are consumed with saying, I'm going to worship the king, and I'm not leaving the same way that I came? Stand to your feet. i got to land this plane. It was burning this week. 
so many times we spend too much of our time editorial pages, not nearly enough time in God's prophetic word. We get our interpretations of politics and ethics and economics and morals from corrupt and godless journalists and filmmakers. Those people can give us information, but the meaning of the world and the purpose of life and the lens in which we see it only comes from this book. I want to remind you that creators reserve the right to name and to write the manual for best practices. I want to remind you that Honda has permission to name their models, instruct its followers how to sustain and to maintain the order of their innovation. And I want you to know that you can call this, this podium right here, you can call it a lobster, you can call it a fish, you can call it carpet, but we know this, the only person that has the right to name the podium is the one that made it. And we're renaming stuff in our society today, but I want you to know the only person that has authority to name who we are, what we can do, what we can become, and where we're going is the one that made us. There is an owner's manual for life. It is called the B-I-B-L-E. 66 books, 1,200 years, 42 authors, three languages, four continents, written by scribes and priests and inmates and prisoners. IRS employees, come on. Written by fishermen, written by, written by kings. It's the only book that we stake our life on. And I'm just here for one time a year, so I want to just come in hot today on Christmas morning and remind you that it doesn't matter what happens on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, or Newsmax, I got good news for you. That even if you don't see God working, He's working. And make no mistake about it, God will leverage the evil in the world for His purposes. Like the wise men, let's go to where He is. Like the wise men, let's expect God to move, revive our cities. Like the wise men, let's express worship. And like the wise men, let's be extravagant with giving God our best. And about this, like the wise men, let's never live a life of, with Jesus without having a hope to encounter him every day. Father, I pray. Pray. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.